Welcome to the Colon Cancer Podcast, stories of struggle, hope, and survival in the face of colorectal cancer. I'm Lee Silverstein. Welcome to episode 40. Thank you so much for joining me during this episode. And I want to start with uh, going through a number of the events on the event calendar for the month of May 2016. There's a lot going on that I want to call your attention to. Starting off on May 18th, Wednesday, May 18th at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, is a very informative webinar titled Into the Weeds, What You Need to Know About Medical Marijuana and Colorectal Cancer. Uh, this is an online live webinar that uh, you can register for by going on the Colon Cancer Alliance website, and that's at ccalliance.org. Click on the events tab, and you'll see the uh, link there for the webinar. It should be very interesting, uh, a lot of information going on. Uh, and a lot changing rapidly in the world of medical marijuana. I'm here in Tampa, Florida, and medical marijuana will be on the ballot in November this year for the second time. Uh, it almost passed the last go-around, and uh, all signs are pointing to it indeed passing this year, and I'm very excited about that, and uh, I know more and more states are taking this on. Uh, I believe we're up to 23 states in the District of Columbia now that all have it approved. And this will be a very informative webinar for you to learn more about medical marijuana. So again, Wednesday evening, May the 18th, 7 p.m. Eastern Time, information can be found on the Colon Cancer Alliance website. For the folks that are living in or around Knoxville, Tennessee, on the following day, Thursday, May 19th, is the Team Britain Golf Tournament. It's a Team Britain is a nonprofit organization uh, named after Britton Butler, a young man who was diagnosed with colorectal cancer about 10 years ago when he was 22 years old. And uh, this golf tournament is a vehicle to raise money for cancer awareness and focus on early detection. Uh, and again, show that colon cancer is not just an old person's disease. So this is the fifth annual golf tournament. More information for you in the Knoxville, Tennessee area that might be interested also can be found on the Colon Cancer Alliance website, ccalliance.org, under the event tab. And then we've got a couple of undies coming up, or I should say uh, run and walk, run walks coming up. Uh, on Saturday, May 21st, 9 a.m. at Lincoln Park in Chicago will be the Undy uh, 5K run, one-mile walk. Brandon Thompson and the team up there uh, will be uh, putting on this wonderful event. And if you're interested in the Undy run walk and are in or around the Chicago area, check it out. And on the same day for the folks out in uh in uh, Indianapolis, Indiana, is Let's Get Scoping Run Walk. Uh, same day and same time, 9 a.m. So for information on both of those run walks, that you can uh, find information on those, again, also at the Colon Cancer Alliance website, ccalliance.org. Check out the events tab. I want to take a moment to thank uh, Chris Shaw and the team out at uh, H2ORS for uh, promoting the podcast on their site. H2ORS is a oral rehydration solution 
uh, a great product for those of you that are concerned about electrolytes and fluids, but unlike the popular sports drinks, H2ORS does not contain any sugar or artificial sweeteners or colors. It is, it is a drink mix and uh, it's a terrific product. And for listeners of the Colon Cancer Podcast, if you go on their website at www.h2ors.com forward slash sample, listeners of the show will get two free samples shipped to their homes. And if you're looking to purchase the product, same website and use h2rs.com as the promo code, you'll get 10% off of the H2RS oral rehydration solution drink mix. My guest this week is Elon Friedi. Elon was diagnosed at the young age of 42 with colorectal cancer. Uh, since that time and uh, since his recovery, he has devoted a lot of energy and effort into advocacy work. He has an interesting story to share. So uh, join me now for my conversation with Elon Friedi. Elon, welcome to the show. How are you this evening? Very good. Thanks for having me, Lee. So uh, take us back and uh, share with us, if you don't mind, uh, how did you come to be diagnosed with rectal cancer? So it was uh, December 2014. Um, <clears throat> I was going for my annual physical and, uh, you know, did, I, I go to like a practice, concierge practice. I have a, you know, talk, my doctor spends a lot of time and, you know, kind of asks a lot of questions and stuff like that. And, you know, he was asking me questions about, you know, bowel habits. And, you know, I didn't really think anything was wrong, but I kind of said, well, sometimes I have a little bit of a, a feeling like it's not a complete, uh, you know, like I'm, like I'm not getting everything out. And, you know, again, he didn't really think anything of it. Um, but then when he went to do the prostate exam, uh, he did a, a hemocult where, you know, they, they sort of look if there's any microscopic traces of blood and um, it tested positive. <clears throat> so, you know, he kind of said, well, you know, it's probably nothing. You're, you're young. I'm, I was 40, 41 at the time. Um, it was just for my 42nd birthday. And, uh, you know, he wrote me a referral for a, to go see a gastroenterologist. And I kind of, you know, didn't really think too much of it and almost blew off making the appointment and just happened to, by chance, find the uh, referral slip on my desk a few weeks later. My desk is always a mess, so it's, things get lost very easily. So I happened to find it, and I said, well, you know, I probably should just go, you know, just for peace of mind. So I called the GI doc, and, you know, this was probably about two or three weeks after my, my first appointment. <clears throat> Explained to them the situation and that you know I had trace of blood, and they said, "Well, you know, you should you should come in in the next week or two. And they gave me about two weeks from the time I called. And then at that point, they also, I guess, they they consulted with the doctor based on the fact that I had blood. He figured he'd probably give a colonoscopy, so they had tentatively scheduled one. Um, so I went to see the the GI doctor, and uh, he just he basically just took my family history and asked me some questions. Didn't really do uh, much of an exam, and basically said, you know, see you in two weeks for the for the colonoscopy. So it was now about, I guess, about a month and a half after, maybe closer to two months after my original physical exam, I went in for the colonoscopy. And uh, sure enough, uh, a two and a half centimeter uh, tumor was found uh, about uh, 11 centimeters in. And what was your reaction upon hearing that news? Um, so it's kind, of, it's kind of weird. I mean, I actually, I actually woke up a little bit in the procedure and you know, actually, I thought I heard him talking about like cancer, and I and I you know I sort of 
you know, I think they saw me moving and then they, you know, up the dose again and, and knocked me out. So when I came out, you know, and I remember like, you know, obviously in a day's state during, during anesthesia, I was almost thinking like, huh, that's interesting. You know, like I wasn't like freaking out. Um, and I didn't tell my wife anything when I came out. You know, I thought maybe I was just dreaming about the whole thing. Um, and I told her like I thought I woke up, but, you know, I didn't tell her like what I had heard. And then when the doctor came out and said it, like I almost wasn't shocked because I had had almost like this, this uh, <laughs> sort of like I knew already. Um, but, you know, I, it, it didn't really process what it meant. Uh, I think, you know, when he said, oh, you know, it's a two and a half centimeter tumor, it's a lot smaller than, you know, things I've seen. Um, you know, I took that as a good sign. It's probably early. And, you know, I was like, you know, well, let's just find a surgeon and get this thing taken out. So hearing this conversation going on while you're coming out of anesthesia, goodness, that had to seem kind of surreal. Yeah, I mean, I, it, 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 I couldn't really process what it meant. I mean, you know, I figured it was something like So my, my wife is a, is a physician. Um, you know, we came home. She immediately got on the phone with her colleagues, um, who, you know, in the community and who's the best person to go see. So we went even like, I mean, literally came home. Like two hours later, we were in the uh, office of the surgeon. And that's when I kind of realized it was more serious than, <laughs> than what, I, what originally dawned on me because, you know, she did kind of another exam. She, she, did a, she took a look with a rigid, um, proc, I forgot it's called, proctoscope. Um, and, you know, she basically said, look, you know, you need to get staged. Based on the staging, you know, you may need to go through radiation and chemo. And so it was clear to me at that point it wasn't just going to be like, okay, this is some, some little thing that just gets cut out and I move on with my life. So the doctor felt it was confined to the rectum and it had not spread? So, yeah. So later that afternoon, um, I had SCT, so everything was clear uh, as far as, uh, uh, you know, distant spread. Um, and except there was a suspicious node. Um, a couple of days later, I went and had an MRI, which, which found it to be uh, T3 in terms of the depth. So the, the official diagnosis was T3, N1, N0. Um, so we kind of went on the uh, on the rounds with uh, with the different uh, physicians at that point to kind of explore options. So first, first we went to a local um, oncologist uh, here in our area who was highly regarded, and and he recommended the, the, the kind of the uh, the uh, standard of care, which is radiation uh, followed by surgery with likely a temporary ostomy, and then um, a six months of chemo. Um, went and saw John Marshall at Georgetown, and he kind of took a look at my file and said, well, I'm not sure you need radiation. Your tumor's pretty high. It's kind of in the, the border rectal versus, you know, sigmoid colon. Um, he's like, you know, why don't you go straight to surgery and, you know, come talk to me when you're done, and we'll figure out what to do about chemo. So we were kind of confused at that point what to do. And, you know, I have a lot of physician friends. My wife's obviously a physician. You know, we were kind of talking to, to, to people we know, and when people are saying, you know, why don't you go 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 up to the to to, to Sloan Kettering, right? That's those, those were the experts, and you know, maybe they'll be the tiebreaker. So we went to Sloan Kettering, and I was examined there by uh, Doctor Julio Garcia Aguilar, who's a surgeon, and um, he basically put us gave us a third option, which was he said, look, you can do the standard of care. He's like, in your case, you know, I would feel comfortable taking you straight to surgery, but you know, we're doing this. Uh, this new thing where we're trying chemo first, and if people have a good response to chemo, um, they can potentially avoid radiation. 
And so, so that was the, uh, the plan we chose. What I forgot to mention, though, is in the early CAT scan I had, uh, even though it showed no distant spread, they did actually find a uh, small tumor in my kidney, which was assumed to be unrelated, um, what they call an incidental loma, incidental finding. Um, and typically, kidney tumors that are found incidentally are not too aggressive. So the consensus opinion was, you know, let, don't worry about it right now. Treat the, uh, treat, the, treat the rectal cancer first and deal with that afterwards. That still had to freak you out knowing that there was a tumor also sitting there on your kidney, no? Yeah, I mean, certainly it was scary, uh, you know, to sort of think about, you know, I have two primary tumors, like, what are the odds of that? Um, but, uh, you know, the, the, from sort of what we heard, these, these sort of people getting CAT scans for other stuff and then they find something in a kidney is, I mean, obviously it's not common, but it's not that rare. And, you know, if something shows up in the kidney in that, in that fashion, you know, where you're completely asymptomatic and it just shows up in a scan, it's usually something that's um, fairly benign. So what did you and your doctor decide on a treatment plan and how did it go? So it actually went, uh, I, think, I think, very well. Um, so I started Full Fox. Uh, so let's see. So my, my, I was diagnosed on January 26th. I started Full Fox, I think it was February 16th. So it was only about three weeks after I was diagnosed. Um, and the plan was I was going to go eight rounds total, um, and I would have a scan and a scope, uh, a sigmoidoscopy, um, kind of at the midpoint. So I did the first um, four rounds, which, of course, you know, weren't fun, but I think I, I, I tolerated it pretty well. Um, I didn't really have too bad of a reaction from the 5-FU, um, and you know, obviously I just had the cold sensitivity and, and some of the neurological stuff from the uh, oxaliplatin. Uh, so I, when I, we, after the uh, fourth treatment and I went up back to, to Sloan to get scoped, um, we actually saw about a 70% reduction in the tumor, which was, you know. Wow. Amazing. That quickly. Yeah. Um, you know, the surgeon said this is, you know, a very significant response. After just four rounds of treatment? That was after four rounds, yeah. It was pretty amazing. Was that the end of your treatment at that point? No, I did another four rounds <laughs> after that. So I, I finished out for another four rounds, um, and then again got scoped after that point, and both CAT scan and scope. CAT scan showed uh, nodes were back to normal size, and the scope I had uh, pre-surgery, you couldn't even see anything. That's terrific. Now, did you require an ileostomy? I did not. So I had surgery um, at the end of June. Um, you know, they, 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 they kind of prepared me for ileostomy. They, they, they marked me for one. And, you know, in the pre-surgical consultation, they, they told me all the possibilities. And the surgeon told me to expect one. <laughs> um, but, you know, when I, when I woke up in the PACU, I kind of put my hand on my belly to see if I could feel anything. <laughs> and I was relieved, uh, you know, that, that I didn't end up needing one. That's great. I'm sure you were relieved. So uh, what happened next? Yeah, so after surgery, um, you know, patholo even though we couldn't see anything, and the surgeon himself said, you know, when he, the tissue that he took out, like he couldn't see any sign of the tumor, but he said it felt a little, you know, thick. Uh, but pathology did come back that there still was uh, a little bit of cancer cells left in the, in the tissue and in two nodes. So for kind of good measure, um, I did a little more chemo after the surgery. Um, just with the Zolota, uh for about two months. Um, so basically, like, altogether, it was six months of chemo. Um, and then about, uh, about a month and a half after I finished chemo, so this would be um, 
you know, so I finished in around end of September. Uh, so in, in, in late November, I had a second surgery, also at Sloan Kettering, uh, on my kidney, uh, partial nephrectomy. Uh, the, the pathology came back on that as being what they called um, low malignant potential, um, essentially something called moncocytoma, which is a fairly benign type of tumor, but there were some signs of, of, of clear cell renal. Um, carcinoma, which obviously is, is kidney cancer. So it was somewhere on the spectrum of benign to malignant, but not very malignant. And how do you feel now? Um, I feel great. I mean, I'm, you know, been since, since I've been diagnosed, I've sort of certainly been trying to keep a healthier lifestyle. Um, you know, me and my wife both became vegetarians. Um, you know, I'm working out more regularly, uh, you know, trying to, trying to control my stress better. Uh, you know, yesterday we had the scope it out 5k here in DC and I, you know, did the whole thing. I would, I didn't quite run the whole thing, but I, I did, I did do the whole 5k. Um, so yeah, I, I feel good. And, um, you know, just, uh, you know, this, 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 I think this experience kind of really, really strengthens you, um, you know, come out the other end of the journey. Yeah, no doubt. You know, people I speak to also talk about how their journey with colon cancer has changed them. How has it changed you, Elon? Um, you know, it's, it's an interesting question. And, uh, you know, obviously, you know, perspective changes on things. You know, I think, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a pretty driven person. I, you know, very focused on my career and things like that. And, uh, you know, going through something like this, you, you kind of take, take a look and, and, you know, kind of realize not to sweat the small stuff. And uh, you know, have new perspective about you know family and relationships. Um, I think you know this whole experience strengthened a lot of my relationships uh, with friends. Um, you know, it, it brought a lot of new people into my life. You know, connecting with other survivors. Um, you know, I think I've, I've I've made some really close relationships just just connecting with people. So, you know, it's it, it's 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 almost like. Uh, you know, you don't want to consider having cancer a positive experience, but, you know, there, there, there are a lot of silver linings in this. And, um, you know, in many ways, I feel like, you know, you, uh, I've come out a, a, a stronger person and, and a more enriched person having gone through this. How did you come to be involved in advocacy work? So uh, early on, uh, I think through Dr. Marshall, I was turned on to Colon Town and, um, you know, I, I started working there, which was, you know, basically through Chris for Life. And at the time, I got involved in some of the stuff Chris for Life was doing. And there was an event that they were putting on last summer um, for Never Too Young, which is, you know, essentially um, part of uh, put together by, by, by CCA along with the other organizations. Um, so I kind of got into the world of, of the, uh, the colon cancer advocacy and, you know, came to know um, several of the organizations through that. That's great. Uh, you know, people I talk to, I hear from a lot of survivors that tell me that their circle of friends and even family that's there for them throughout their life, that that, that picture, that portrait, if you will, changes or ch has changed for them once they came to be diagnosed. Did you experience the same thing uh, when you went through your battle with rectal cancer? Yeah, I think there is something to that. Um, I think, you know, different people um, respond very differently to, to, to these types of things. Um, you know, I had, I had friends who were calling me every week or, you know, friends dropping by, you know, every time I'd have an infusion. 
Um, and then I had friends who kind of, I think, had trouble sort of processing it and didn't really quite know how, what to say to me and, and stuff like that. So, you know, I don't really hold it against anybody, you know, who maybe kind of, uh, you know, didn't, didn't make themselves as available because I know sometimes it's hard to know how to, how to respond to different things. But, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, it, it is interesting to see how, how different people respond to it. And, you know, it's not always exactly how you'd expect. Did you work through your treatment? Um, inconsistently, <laughs> uh, I would say, you know, on, on my infusion weeks, um, I worked very little, um, you know, maybe here and there I'd go into the office for a couple, for a few hours a day, maybe, you know, after I, I, I never really went in with the pump. So, you know, my, my infusions were on Mondays. I had the pump with me until about Wednesday. Um, and then maybe Thursday, Friday, I'd go in for a few hours just to kind of tag up with people. Um, the, the, the recovery weeks, um, I did go in, um, pretty regularly, uh, maybe not whole days, but, but I was, you know, keep trying to keep stay on top of things. And what do you do, Elon? So I'm a vice president of engineering for a small defense contractor here in the DC area. You seem to have, uh, approached this, uh, you know, with a really... Uh, positive attitude and and I and I admire your spirit I truly do yeah I mean I think you know it, it's I mean I, I appreciate that and and uh, you know thank you for the kind words um, you know I, I say I say to people that like you know I didn't I never really felt like a cancer patient you know like you kind of have this idea of, of what you know before I had cancer maybe I had this idea of what it meant to be a cancer patient or to be facing some sort of life-threatening illness um, you know I didn't really have a preconceived notion but I, I, I probably had like some some sense of, of what it must be like and I never really felt like a cancer patient you know maybe Maybe it was a handful of days that I really felt sick or really felt like, you know, I can't deal with this. Um, but for the most part, you know, I, I, it was almost like, you know, I felt like I was kind of watching a movie and it wasn't really happening to me. Um, so, you know, you know I, I, I don't know what to make of that, but, you know, that, that's just kind of the, the, the way it sort of the whole experience felt for me. Well, Alana, as we begin to wrap up, a uh, question I ask all the survivors, I have the honor and privilege of interviewing, and that is, if someone is listening to this uh, conversation between us and they just recently got the news or they're a caregiver and someone that's near and dear to them recently got the news that they have colorectal cancer, what advice, what words of wisdom would you offer that individual in this situation? Uh, I think, you know, certainly kind of maintaining a positive attitude is, is a huge part of it. Um, you know, not being afraid to, to lean on people who, who can be supportive. Um, you know, I, I, I do feel, you know, at least my experience was the, uh, the anticipation and the uncertainty was really the worst part. So obviously chemo and surgery are hard and, you know, there's, there's some physical pain and, and you know, discomfort um, that go along with it. But the the early part where you know you're kind of going through the process of, of getting diagnosed and, and not knowing what everything means and trying to figure out what to do and all the uncertainty there, I feel like in many ways is the hardest part. So you know, my advice to people who may be recently diagnosed and are in that sort of phase of uncertainty is you know kind of know like you know you know once you get past that and you're on a path, um, you know you, even though even though there are difficulties. Um, you know, in certain ways, it, it does get easier. Well, Alan, I want to thank you so much for spending time with me. Thank you for the advocacy work that you do. 
I want to wish you continued, most importantly, good health, uh, continued success in everything that you do, and, uh, and be well. Thank you. I really appreciate it. My pleasure, Lee, and I, I appreciate uh, the, the chat and um, you know, look forward to meeting you someday. Likewise. Uh, you have a good evening. I appreciate it. You too. Thanks. Take care. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Colon Cancer Podcast. Notes from this episode can be found on our website at thecoloncancerpodcast.com. You can subscribe to the podcast on our website, on iTunes, or on the Stitcher app for listeners using an Android device. If you or a loved one has a question about colon cancer, please visit the Colon Cancer Alliance website at www.ccalliance.org. Again, that's www.ccalliance.org. You can also email your questions to us at info at the colon cancer podcast.com. Thanks again for listening. Be well, everyone.